Hi, Craig. Hey, Craig. Craig. Hey, Craig. Hey, Craig. And hello, everyone, and welcome to the paddocks. Today we have myself, Chelsea. We have Hannah, Leanne, Amy, and Ito. And on today's episode, we're going to be doing a driver spotlight on someone I never shut up about. It is my favorite driver, and it is Carlos Sainz from Ferrari. We're going to give you some info on Carlos's life on and off the track. So to start, we'll pass it over to Amy, and we'll talk about who Carlos is and his family. Okay, so for those who do not know, I think it's pretty well known, but just for those who don't, Carlos Sainz is the son of a double world rally champion. His name is Carlos Sainz Sr. His nickname is El Matador. Carlos has a very similar nickname amongst Formula One. And throughout Carlos's Formula One career, karting, everything like that, he's been very influenced by his father, loves to drift, always kind of takes a little bit of some tips and tricks from his dad. For those who don't know about Carlos Sainz Sr., as I said, he's a World Rally Champion. He's won in 1990, 1992. He's got four runners-up titles underneath his belt. He has done everything under the sun. Subaru in 1995, Toyota in 1999, Citroen in 03, 04, and 05. In the 2018 season for rally racing, Carlos Sainz Sr. was part of Peugeot. Currently, he is competing in Extreme E and has his own team with a teammate as well. It's never easy being in the shadow of a sporting giant, but Carlos Jr. has really shown the drive and the disposition to deal with it. For those who don't know about the rest of his family, he has his loving mother, Rez, his sister, Blanca, and recently his younger sister, Anna, was married back in February. And for those who don't know about Carlos Sainz's manager, that is also technically Carlos Sainz, is also his cousin, and they, he has been Carlos's manager since about 2017, according to his LinkedIn. And then in terms of mentors, Carlos has been very open about his super close relationship with Maria de Velota, who recently passed away in 2013. Um, she was actually the first person to coach Carlos in his Madrid driver's school. He did his very first lap in a single seater with her. She is a fantastic person for those who don't know. I highly recommend Googling her. She's very fascinating, at least to me. She raced full-time in Spanish F3 from 2002 to 2004. She's also competed in the D Daytona 24-hour, European Ferrari Challenge, World Touring Car Championship, Superstars, Spanish GT, German ADAC Pro Car, which is all of those are all dual-seater racing. And then for single-seater, she's done the Euro 3000 and Super League Formula. Um, and she has was also able to test a F1 car, the Renault R29 back in 2009. Yeah, and in terms of his karting, he started karting in 2006, and he lasted in karting only until 2009. And it was really impressive, his career in karting, once he found his feet. He won his first series in 2008 at the CIK FIA Asia Pacific Championship at KF3. And he followed that up with another win in 2009 with the Monaco Karting Cup KF3. 
while yes, he was no, say, Max Verstappen, who won everything that he touched, he finished in the top 10 of all the races that he managed to start in. So he was a solid driver. Then he moved on to Formula BMW that in 2010, racing for Euro International, he first started in the Asia Pacific series of that series, but because he was a guest driver during that leg, he wasn't eligible for points. However, that didn't stop him from taking second place in his first race in Malaysia. And the second race that weekend also saw him come in fourth, while the following day saw a DNF as well as a win. So in that series, usually over a span of a weekend, there are four races, two on the Saturday and two on the Sunday. And that performance actually also got him into the Red Bull Junior program. Helmut Marko, who is notorious for being ruthless when it comes to cutting underperforming drivers, went as far as saying that it was a strong and promising performance from Sainz. And even though he missed two race weekends that season in China and Japan, respectively, he was still able to surpass expectation by scoring three pole positions, two wins, and two fast slaps in only nine races. For the European leg of the series, that same race, he wasn't really able to build on that success, sadly. Taking home only one win, two poles, and two fastest laps. But that was still enough to finish fourth in the standings that year. The third series he competed in that year was the UK Formula Renault Winter Cup which saw him finish sixth in one race and retire from the other that he competed in. For F3, he raced both in the British and the Euro series, both racing with Carlin. He managed to play sixth in standings in the British version by winning four races, getting two pole positions. But as in Formula BMW, just because he performed well, in one leg of the series, didn't necessarily mean he performed well in the other. Hence, in the European leg, he only scored two podiums and two pole positions, never winning a race. Yet, that was still good enough for ninth in the standings that year, and it saw him graduate to GP3 for 2012 which saw him sign for Arden, which Red Bull Juniors do, because the team is actually co-owned by Christian Horner, which is the F1 team principal for Red Bull and former Red Bull driver of Multi-21 fame, Mark Webber. While his main focus was on GP3 for the 2013 season, it also saw him race in Formula Renault 3.5, which Hannah will talk about in a bit. While he had mixed results in previous years and previous series, for GP3, it was truly off to a rocky start. As he received a 10-place grid penalty during his first race in Barcelona for ignoring a yellow flag, and for those who don't know, what that means, it basically means if the yellow flag is waved, 
drivers have to slow down because of an incident on track, say someone crashed, there's like debris on the track, etc. That ignoring of that yellow flag basically saw him start towards the back of the grid. He wasn't dead last, but he was like 15 for something like that. And while he was able to make up some places during the race, some mistakes ultimately saw him remain 15th when the race finished, especially due to poor tire management. It only got worse from there, as a race two that weekend saw him disqualified post-race due to the car being too light. So basically, in all racing series, the car has to have a minimum weight in order to compete because even though you want a light car to be quick and competitive, you can't make it too light to gain an unfair advantage. Thankfully, however, the next race in Valencia saw him finally in title fight contention due to his podium finish in race two, as well as his fastest laps in both races. However, sadly, that didn't last too long because right after, in Silverstone, he had a nightmare weekend with zero points across the whole weekend. And the following five rounds weren't able to put him back in the title fight either, causing him to finish 10th in the standings at the end of the season in Abu Dhabi. Yeah, and then going to Formula Renault 3.5, Sainz raced for the first time in 2013. However, because he was focused on GP3 predominantly, he missed several races his first season, had a double retirement in Spa due to many car issues, and another double retirement in France. Over a pretty rough season, but he also didn't prioritize it, so we'll see what 2014 brings. In 2014, he switches from GP3 um, directly over to Formula Renault itself. He started off the season at Monza, winning the second race to score 25 points, which beat his previous year as a whole, where he only scored three points total for the year. He doubled the points in Aragon, got two wins in Spa, and many more great race wins, and got his championship lead over Roberto Mejri which was the Formula Renault 3.5 series title, and led him into joining Scuderia Toro Rosso. By the way, he was already part of the Red Bull Junior team since 2010, which Chelsea will talk more about our lovely science boy. I love this man. Our story for Carlos in Formula One, it starts off in one of our favorite young driver paddocks, I would say, which is Toro Rosso. So imagine, it's 2015, and the second driver on the team is someone we all know way too much about, Max Verstappen, who was also making his rookie debut that year. Now, all things considered, the season was a pretty good one for Carlos. He was a top 10 driver for three Grand Prix, and he ended up placing 16th in the driver championship that year with 18 points. I guess we should note that Verstappen ended that year with 49 points, but... We'll do another episode on him one day. For Carlos, his rookie year was just the beginning. You know, if there's one thing you'll realize with signs during this episode is that he really only has gotten better over the years. In his second season with Toro Rosso, we saw him winning points in 10 out of 21 races, and he ended up topping his best lap position with a P6 in three races. Now, compare that to last season where P7 in just one race was his highest place. So what did those 10 races end up doing? 
They raced him to get P12 in the driver championship, which was four places up from his rookie year. And this has been the trend, by the way. Every year, he just gets a little bit better. The thing was that come the third season, he made the decision to try his face at Renault um, towards the end of the 2017 season because Red Bull had already pushed Max to the Red Bull team and Carlos just didn't see himself growing any longer with Red Bull. Now, Renault did not want to lose the chance to sign signs either, by the way. Which is why we came to the very big decision for Carlos to leave Toro Rosso with four races left in the season, and he began driving for Renault at Coda. Now, his career at Renault was pretty short-lived, but it was a stepping stone. Carlos only drove there for a 2018 season, and he ended up finishing behind Nico in the Drivers' Championship, who was his teammate. So his first race was at the 2017 Austin Coda Grand Prix, and he was coming from a high because he had just placed fourth at the Japan Grand Prix with Toro Rosso. So he's going in strong, he gets some points at Koto, he gets P7, he's impressing the team, right? They ended up reaching sixth in the Constructors' Championship, which really was Reynolds' goal in the first place. So things were looking good for Carlos. But the 2018 season ended up being a kicker. I mean, even with the consistent points in the races he was getting, he had trouble getting past Nico, and he would end up behind him in the Drivers' Championship again. So the thing is, even though he was a good, consistent midfield driver, Renault just wasn't the place for him, but McLaren took notice. So after just one season, Carlos went on to replace Alonso at McLaren for 2019. Now, the beginning of something was at McLaren. It wasn't until McLaren that Carlos really started getting this recognition on the grid. It was a multi-annual contract, and back then you wanted to drive for McLaren. I know we like to joke now about the tractor, but McLaren is a top team, and they're just kind of hitting a block right now. So Carlos was even quoted saying, I'd like to thank everyone at McLaren for giving me this opportunity to fulfill a childhood dream, which was just so cute. And this was a whole new team for McLaren in 2019 because we had one of our other favorites, Lando, joining for his rookie year. So these two seasons with McLaren, look guys, they were good for Carlos, okay? This man was once again showing he could be a consistent driver and he was able to help McLaren get P4 in the Constructors' Championship. This had been their highest finish since like 2012. He also secured P6 for himself and that was his highest position since he had joined the F1 circuit. So this season was his first podium in his career. He got P3 in Brazil Grand Prix, which I feel like Brazil Grand Prix just gives off good vibes. And though I know I have to mention it, it was because Lewis was penalized with a five-second hit, which does sound a little familiar to earlier this year. God, that five-second thing, it's a little heartbreak for us science fans this season. But then it was 2020, and COVID delayed the season, and that didn't stop Formula doing what it does. So we had Carlos contracted by Ferrari to become their driver in 2021. While Carlos' season for 2020, it wasn't his luckiest, he took his next best podium standing in Formula 1, which was P2 in the Italian Grand Prix, and this helped McLaren win P3 in the Constructors. So it was a pretty good deal that year. They had a lot going on, and they were like on a high as a team. It was also another P6 for signs in the driver's classification, so that was his last driver's placement with McLaren before he got a move on to Ferrari. Oh, the lovely relationship of Lando and Carlos was very special since Lando learned a lot from him being teammates at McLaren. 
They raced together for two years in 2019 and 2020 and apparently clicked immediately after meeting. Their first year together really hit it off on the track with both strong performances all around for McLaren. Carlos said in an interview, and this is quoted, just like with other people, you also have people in F1 with whom you get along with well and people whom it just doesn't click. And with Lando and Carlos, they clicked. They remained really good friends despite being opponents now with Carlos, with Ferrari, and Lando still with McLaren. Till this day, they play golf together with the many Carlos is in the family. It honestly blows my mind with how many of them have the same name. Also, the unhinged golf skills and jokes that pop up on Instagram reels, stories, TikTok, all that. And I don't know if y'all seen the many unhinged TikToks that have come from them and or McLaren themselves or the YouTube videos. I'm just going to name a few as hilarious ones for you to go listen to. The Lovely sushi video where we see Lando and Carlos try to um, get Lando to love sushi um, and seafood when this man does not. The milk hot lap video where they answer questions and try not to spill the milk. Disaster. Hilarious. And of course, our lovely what is in the box. They were a little bit worried about that one. One of the known sayings from both Lando and you'll occasionally hear it from Carlos is you muppet. So look out for that on the grid and over to you, Chelsea. Honestly, while I was very sad to see the Lando and Carlos relationship not end, but, you know, get a break. I was so excited to have Carlos on Ferrari because now it is February 2021 and Carlos has made his first appearance with Ferrari and we're going crazy because this is the second youngest lineup Ferrari has ever had which fun fact was Jackie, Chris, and Andrea being the youngest back in like 1968. So imagine. The move to Ferrari was similar to McLaren for Carlos in terms of he was moving to a team that needed some work. If you're a Ferrari fan you know that we just haven't had the best luck in years but we're working on it, okay? We say it every race, we're working on it. And while he wasn't getting first place podiums like Charles, he was able to top his new teammate in the driver's championship because he was beating him by 5.5 points in the standings. And this was really just because of his consistent work in the midfield. Now he did obtain four podiums, including a P2 at the prestigious Marco Grand Prix, where he was, as he likes to say, in Latino mode. Now, his second season with Ferrari can be called his best season in Formula 1 to date. 2022 was the first year we saw Sainz claim his first podium win with a first position standing at the British Grand Prix, having secured a pole one in qualifying as well. So he finished the season with six podium wins in total. This was the most podium wins he had. I do want to mention there was some controversy with the win and it was interesting in the concept that supposedly Ferrari did not want Carlos to get that P1 position. They had been pushing for Charles to be moved in and I can see that happening because I know there's always been some kind of idea of like driver one, driver two. I feel like Ferrari usually doesn't actually rely on that method if at all. I feel like they're pretty good with if the driver's faster they can be faster. But it was sad to see that when that race happened, he didn't really have anyone waiting for him. Yeah, and speaking of the driver one, driver two, both the drivers, I would say pairing Carlos and Charles to Lando and Carlos, 
their energy is more work best friend energy, if you guys know what I mean. Whereas Carlos and Lando or Carlando, as I believe I'm saying it correctly, that's more of like the brotherly best friend, the older brother looking out for the little brother vibes. That's how I see that one. So getting this like work bestie moment is enjoyable to watch, especially when you see like the C squared social media content that they do, which I mean, I love it. Any music challenge is the funniest thing you'll ever see in your life. Them, just their competitiveness against each other because they're the work best friends is hilarious. Uh, I do have to say, Ferrari, it's been a month since you posted the last C squared. So obviously, I know you're listening to this. Get on it. Thank you so much. I may be biased, but it is my favorite. The way Charles and Carlos fit right in together as more equals was Probably a nice little change since he most likely always felt like he had to protect Lando all the time. So I think just seeing that where they can fully go competitive against each other, but then that always brings in the, do they dislike each other because they compete more and all that just nonsense, even though they are meshing really well together. Though this season, there does seem to be a bit of tension on race weekends, but that also seems to be based off of strategy and them not being told the other strategy, which they don't need to, but it kind of seems like they pitted against them, especially that one time where you saw them for sure discussing it after. Was it qualifying or a race that they were talking about it? You don't know, as I can tell it in our eyes. (laughs) Are you referring to Miami? Was it Miami? Probably because we wouldn't have seen it. All right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. In Miami, they were seen talking to each other about basically what the media or everyone believes was the shit strategy that they had in Miami. And you could see it on Carlos's face that he was just pissed off. And on Charles's obviously too. But yeah. Yeah. And Chelsea and I wouldn't have seen that. Yeah, it was post race, right? Yeah, it was post race. Yeah, because we definitely wouldn't have seen it at all. Yeah. Because Charles was on the podium, it was like in that podium ish area, like in Park Fermi. I was going to say, I do remember seeing it on the big screen. We just were not paying attention because we were running to the podium. Oh, true. I do remember getting a photo of it, but then like, I was like, oh, they're up there. I got to get that for Chelsea. (laughs) But yeah, so other than the strategists kind of pitting them against each other, whether they honestly realize that or not, because who knows, it is Ferrari strategists. I don't think they think that much all the time. No offense, guys. But yeah. As long as that doesn't affect their true relationship, I'm good. They can be ba- they can battle on track as long as that doesn't affect off track relationship. I'm I'm good with it. And with 2023 already underway and Carlos currently 6th in the Drivers Championship with 48 points, I'm still excited to see how the season turns out. The proof is in the numbers. He's a consistent growing driver. He does better every year. And from pole positions to gaining podiums, he's working on it. But we still have to ask, is Ferrari a good fit for him? Do we maybe see him leaving the color red in the future? Now, personally, I'm hoping not. The C2 team gives me a lot of serotonin. But I do wonder if staying there is what's best for him because his contract will be up in 2024. Well, I also really don't want to see our favorite chili leave the color red. I really do want to get everybody's thoughts on where we think he could potentially go. I don't know if we can maybe see him going back to McLaren, 
Not sure that's necessarily the best idea with the tractor they have built this season. But do we potentially see some team, maybe Audi, trying to bring back Carlando? Do we just see him making a drastic move? I don't know what's next for him. I really don't want to see him leave Ferrari because I do love the C-squared pairing. I think they're fantastic together. They're definitely the work besties who love to gossip, and it makes my heart very happy. But I just don't know what's next for him. It's funny, actually, Amy, that you bring up Audi. Because I've been following, like, the whole Audi saga, like, the whole build-up very closely. And especially after the announcement of McLaren's team principal leaving at the end of last season and going to Sauber slash Alfa Romeo. And basically that kind of got the rumor mill churning even more for a potential move of Carlos to Audi, especially because his family has ties to Audi. Like his dad is still sponsored by Audi. But at the same time, Carlos has come out and said, those rumors piss him off. And I'm like, are you just saying that because you you are planning a move but don't want people to know? Or are you actually like pissed pissed? Who knows? Well, and I think the thing that some people tend to forget is that Andreas Seidel absolutely loves Carlos Sainz. Like he, there are interviews where he is singing his praises. He's such a chili fan. It's adorable. So... I don't know. I could see him saying that the rumors piss him off as a way to throw up people off the scent, but I don't know. I kind of feel like we could see him in a different uniform when his contract's up, to be honest. I would also say he most likely cannot talk about it at all, so the easier thing for him to do is straight up just say, oh, no, no, I'm angry about it. Like, no, you just most likely legally. Also, half the time, I know in other sports, but like, cause like in hockey, sometimes the agent doesn't even actually fill in the player or they just don't, they'll just like, I want to pay attention to my season. I don't want to worry about a contract. You deal with it. If it's something I need to know, tell me. So I wouldn't be surprised if the sassy little chili's like, don't tell me. I don't care right now. Like, let me, let me race. I don't care. Plus, I mean, his manager's literally his cousin. So I'm sure he trusts him and basically just follows kind of follows his lead. I mean, I'm sure he has says and whatnot, but ultimately I feel like his manager does the leg work and then Carlos just comes in at the end and says, okay, fine. But at the same time, that brings up another interesting point because Audi only joins in 2026 and Carlos's contract is up at the end of the 2024 season, that would still mean he has one year open. So what would happen? Like, would he extend his contract for one year at Ferrari and then hop over? Would he go to another team for that one season? Anyone has any thoughts? I was just going to say, I was trying to do the math. The other, I say math like this is a word problem, but math to see like where he could go team wise that he hasn't already hit. Like he's done McLaren, he's done Alpha Tori. I don't think he would do Red Bull because it's a connection to Alpha and it just doesn't make sense being in a seat with Max because even though technically you can consider Carlos a second driver because he's more of a midfield king than he is like a podium one, 
and he technically would be a good second driver, I'd rather see him in a car that can get him to be a first driver. And he's not going to get that with McLaren. While he could get it with Red Bull, he's not going to get it on that team. I don't think he could get it with Mercedes. Like, what does that leave us with? We could do, like, maybe Alpine? I could see him maybe doing Alpine. I just don't know who would leave from Alpine. That makes sense. And yeah, with the whole, like, Lewis conspiracy thought out there, you just never know. And I wouldn't be surprised if he extends the contract for one year. He's doing pretty good this season at Ferrari, despite some complications with cars. I could see Alpine. I think that would be his best choice with how well they're doing this season. But yeah, I don't know who would go away. Like, that would be a tough decision. And Red Bull would, honestly, I feel like, hurt him more than it would benefit him. I totally agree with that, Hannah. It, Carlos, if you're listening to this, please do not go to Red Bull or AlphaTauri. Do not. You're too nice for them. Carlos is our number one fan. <laughs> anyway, but also, I don't see him at Alpine either because they used to be a Renault. He used to race for them, and then they kicked him out, kind of, for Daniel Ricciardo. And I feel like that leaves a bad taste in your mouth. And I'm like, do you want to go back to a team that kind of sidelined you for a driver that ultimately didn't deliver? Who knows? So I'm looking at this as a perspective of if I was his manager, what I would do. I would probably try to manage to figure out a way to get him a one-year contract with Ferrari and kind of spin it in terms of let's see what performance you can get out of the car. We're looking for improvements from the team. The car is not quite there yet. The strategy is not quite there yet. I think it's totally feasible to go to Ferrari and say, listen, we want one year. If we don't see changes, we walk. And spin it that way of, okay, he's got his one year He's safe. He's got something. He's got a seat. He's on the grid. And then he can slide right on over to Audi if he really wants to go. That's what I would do if I was his manager, at least. I will say, like, if I was his manager, probably wouldn't do that well. But if I was his manager, I think that year with Ferrari would also maybe see if there's a chance of any other teams joining the grid. Because there's kind of like this influx of conversation of new teams joining for formula one especially because formula one is also raising the amount of races they're doing so in a sense it's just getting bigger and bigger and if for whatever chance maybe there is a new team like i, I don't know audi or maybe porsche ends up coming back and they're like hey we'll, we'll invest in the team i want to see if maybe that year in 2024 can do something also maybe we see something different with the other drivers because Yuki could be going somewhere else. We have Andretti in 2026. We can also see if Danny's going to be back on the track. There's just so many variables to who can be a driver in just 2025 that we don't really know. I can't even properly guess on where it's going to go with Carlos. That is so true, especially because 2026 is such a wild card because new regulations, Audi joining, and the bids for other teams to join the grid on top of the existing teams as well as Audi, actually, I think either 
just closed or are about to close, like for to get their bids in, and Andretti actually just submitted their bid to become the 11th team, even if other team. I think only currently only two teams support that decision of adding an additional team, but I mean, with Formula One, you never know, and with the wild card that is Stefano Domenicale at FIA, we don't know what will happen. Honestly, the possibilities are endless to what the future could hold. You just really honestly don't know. And then when the the engine changing as well in 2026, possibly, that may bring a whole new set of skill sets or changes or how they structure the teams. Could we go back to three drivers on a team? Well, we say with two. You, you never know how it was because I think at one point there was like five drivers on a team, if I'm not mistaken. So it's just, it's a whirlwind. I will say, and this is probably like the last variable that I just feel no one can ever see us coming is we never know what another racer is going to do. Like I remember thinking Danny was going to stick with Renault for a while and when I found out he dropped, I would like my heart sank because I was like, no, he was doing so well. I thought it was going to keep going. Renault was going to stay in business, et cetera, et cetera. And he just kind of dropped the bomb that he was leaving to McLaren. None of us really ever know if that's going to be another driver. And not that they should be doing that, but I do love the drama a little bit when we get like a last minute team change. Kelsey is 100% right. We really don't know what any of the other drivers are going to do. We could flip a coin. Valtteri Bottas could decide that he wants to retire when his contract is up. We could have rookies leave. Everything could flip on its head. Chaos could ensue. There's so many possibilities when it comes to Formula One, and I think that's the thing that we all love about it the most. And as well, as the Danny situation last season showed... Even contracts lengths can be renegotiated. Drivers can be bought out. And what if someone decides to retire? What if someone decides this car is shit or this driver shit? What happens? Like, there's too many variables to, for us. We can theorize all we want, but at the end of the day, there's too many puzzle pieces. I mean, look at the Mick to Williams rumors or DeVries getting dropped by Alfa Tori after Barcelona if he doesn't improve. Like, who knows? Like, everything can, is up in the air at a moment's notice. Yeah. And honestly, I think that's kind of what keeps all of us interested, especially with how every single year they just kind of keep doing these new things, especially to us new fans that we are just thrown out of the park every time. We're like, drivers can do that. So I'm excited. So to end this episode, we're going to end it out with a Carlos Sainz quote. Personally, my favorite. I'm Spanish. I'm going to go full Latino mode. And this is from Drive to Survive Season 5. If you haven't watched it, please do. There's an amazing scene with a 2-1 finish there for Ferrari. And... I love this man. And you know what? Go full Latino mode every race, baby. Please. And that is all for our favorite smooth operating chili that's on the grid. This was a fun spotlight for us, especially Chelsea. She's loving every second of it. We hope you enjoyed this episode as much as we did making it. 
As always, please keep up with us on socials and give us a follow and a share every single day of your life. Our handle on everything is at Paddock Girls Podcast, except for Twitter. She's at Paddock Girls Pod. Thanks for joining us in the paddock. We'll see you at the next race. Bye, Craig. Bye, Craig. Goodbye, Craig. Bye, Craig. Bye, Craig. Go away. It was nice to meet you. Now go away. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye.